Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Are you tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? Well, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just watch me love myself That's all I want Got what I want That's all I want I'm not sorry I'm Claire Fallon And I'm Emma Gray And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows, and we can't live without them. But we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about a book by two people who host another podcast. We're getting real meta today because we are here to talk about how to win The Bachelor, the secret to finding love and fame on America's favorite reality show. And we're joined by authors Chad Colchin and Lizzie Pace, who also host the very popular Game of Roses podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Hello. Thanks for having Thanks for us. Having we us. Are also excited. We've been following you guys for a very long time. All the stuff you're doing at Huffington Post, all the articles, the old podcast, now the new <laughs> podcast. We think that you guys are like, you know, legends in the game. Definitely legends, but also like an integral part of what we think is this kind of it's a little new. It's maybe a little old at this point, but this tier <laughs> of coverage of The Bachelor, of what we call our beloved game. And there are like always new podcasts coming out. And it's it's fantastic to see what you're doing, I think. Thank you. We're so honored to hear that. And like, we're such big fans of this book, which like blew my mind. Like, <laughs> as you said, we have been doing kind of like critical coverage of the show for a while. And so I was surprised to see how much I had to learn about all the ways it's constructed and all the ways that it can be kind of deconstructed, which you guys do so well. Yeah, it's it's really such a fun read, even for people like us who have been so closely following the show. And I was really tickled by the fact that there were so many things that you distilled down so clearly that I feel like have just inherently come up in our coverage over the years. And it's just really cool to see it all laid out in the way that you do. So I think we should get into the book. Let's start with the origin story. You get into it a little bit in the book, but we'd love to hear more about like, how did you both first come to The Bachelor? Like, what was the first season that each of you watched? So I started watching season one 
episode one with my mother, uh, Alex Michelle, when it aired, uh, I was, I believe I was 12 years old, 11. So it's, it's baked in there. (laughs) It was before my coming of age. I also started watching season one far after my coming of age. Lizzie and I are different (laughs) ages from different eras of humanity. But I was Chad is still coming of age. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I'm 10 years old now. I think I was roughly 20. I was in my early 20s when that first tier of modern reality shows came out in the early 2000s, including Bachelor, American Idol, uh, Survivor, Big Brother. And it was fascinating to see all those shows emerging. I watched them all, at least the first seasons of all of them, because the premises of these shows at that time were outlandish. I mean, to see like one person dating 30 people or Survivor, they're going to throw 30 people on this island and like, good luck. Some of you may die. It was crazy. (laughs) And now we take it all for granted. Like the game mechanics of these shows have been so firmly in place in American pop culture for so long. We don't bat an eye at like one person dating 30 people or fantasy suites or hometowns. But in that first season, it was crazy. You could not believe what you were seeing. And so I was kind of hooked then. And I fell in and out over the years with, uh, you know, various girlfriends would watch it or not. And that kind of like dictated whether or not I was watching it at certain times. But then uh, Lizzie and I met on a TV show called Bad Judge that was on NBC for one season. And we were the only two people in that writer's room that watched The Bachelor or gave a shit about any of this. And after that show ended, we started hanging out with some other friends and just kind of doing like a weekly watch party. And slowly that evolved into an all-consuming mania that sucked us into a black pit of existence. And now we are there. We are writing books from the very bottom of that pit and doing a podcast two and a half times a week from the bottom of that pit talking about this show for the rest of our lives. Uh, well, thank you. And also, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but we what relate. happened to you. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I don't know how like you that. guys started. How you all? So, yeah, we we started watching late, like much later. Like we missed the whole first half of The Bachelor history. I started watching with Brad Womack's second season. Ooh, yeah, season I, 15. I, I started with, uh, with Ben Flanick. Ben Flint. Yeah, that yeah. season is is one of our all time favorites because, of course, you had villain queen Courtney Robinson. Yeah, Courtney Robinson, most successful everyone. villain of all time. All time. I did at one point go back and watch that season, and it is chef's it's kiss. So good, so good. I was reminded yeah. of it a lot last night. Yes, we were there. God, we same. were. T- <laughs> same. There are so many throwbacks in form. I think from Clayton season to that sort of early 2010s era Mm -hmm. so many mentions of women's claws coming out like hadn't heard that in a while that phrase has been unused for a very long time Mm -hmm. and it's it's vintage now it's like the 90s fashion it's It's like like, it's cool now because it's retro it's like jane right yeah. <laughs> when we oh when we did what we did to write the book was we did a hyper binge where we went back and watched every episode on two times speed from season one and something that happens to you when you do that is you hear the repeating phrases that the host whoever it may be repeats at every commercial every women tell all and it, we saw the evolution where it would be, and the claws come out, cat fights abound. And then that slowly transitioned into, and there's going to be so much drama. 
Right. It's like there's drama. We're not sure who's causing it or where it's coming from. It's just in the air, like miasma, <laughs> as opposed to like, look at these crazy bitches and their claws. <laughs> <laughs> They've toned yes. it down. <laughs> look oh, at these shit. crazy bitches and their claws. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot, a lot more to ask about the hyper pinch later, but I think we wanted to talk first just about like the way that you look at The Bachelor as a sport, which is just kind of a foundational approach to the the show that not a lot of people take. Uh, you know, you talk about the gameplay, the stats, the star players. When did you make that? When did that click into place for you where you guys were were each or both together? Like, oh, this is just a professional sports league. Pretty quickly after the thing for me that really launched me into like making memes which i make under this moniker bachelor clues of the show was there was a shot in crystal season 19 where he is going up in a hot air balloon with uh britain nielsen who became a an almost bachelorette in the next season when she and <laughs> Bristow had to go head to head for you know to see who was going to be voted into the house as bachelorette at any rate there was a shot where they were in a hot air balloon and the shot was a low angle shot into the hot air balloon basket. It was meant to look like they were in the air having this conversation, but there was grass coming up from the bottom of the frame. So clearly it was fake. And that idea started to seep into my head about, well, then what really is this? If the lie of the show is that these people are here to find love, what truly is it? And especially after really Juan Pablo's season uh, ushered in paradise there became this very clear secondary goal that it wasn't about winning a ring. It was about getting far enough in the game that you could come on Paradise, then you could use that to boost your Instagram followers. And getting those followers became the real prize of the game. And unlike any other sport, we, what we call the fourth audience, the people watching the show, are the ones who determine how much money you make as a player because we put that number next to your head. Every other sport... It's the people who own the team. It's what your stats are within the game. That's what determines how much money you make. This is the only sport in the world, really, that I'm aware of. I mean, obviously, all those other sports, you can get like sponsorship deals through your social media, but you're primarily played for playing the game. And for us, we then started to see these repeating patterns in the game and starting to see like, well, in this situation, it's statistically best to do this, or in this situation, it's statistically best to do this. And we kind of created a shorthand of like talking about it and gave little names and terms, just like all other sports have their lexicons. We started to create one for ours. And uh, I, I think it's been there kind of since the beginning when we started watching it together. I don't know if you feel the same way, Lizzie. Yeah, I was trying to think of like, what was the first like play that we named and I think it was PTC and it was yeah which is what we refer to as a personal tragedy card and I think that that was the first time that Chad and I agreed on like yeah this is definitely a thing that people are doing in the game they're playing it they seem to be successful at doing it and I think that that made us look further into going down the rabbit hole into <laughs> the analysis level that we are currently doing and where we realize that there are all these other different plays. You've got your different love levels. You've got your tears. You've got your kisses, steals, etc. And for me, Chad started with his memes. I started writing these um, recaps of episodes on a blog and both of us just started, it just spiraled his he started doing more and more memes. Uh, I started writing longer and longer recaps. And then 
it's just sort of snowballed into <laughs> the current situation. And the thing is, a lot of it is already set up as a sport. You have people making brackets, you have people betting on who are going to be the front runners, etc. You have it's event television, you're watching it once a week live. I don't watch anything live pretty much except succession also a sport (laughs) (laughs) that's a sport because it will be immediately spoiled for you if you don't watch yeah that is the fear (laughs) but it's so true in this in this day and age of like streaming tv there's very Mm -hmm. little that can get a big audience to sit down and watch it live and in that way the bachelor is extremely extremely sport-like the fun is is in the community also, right? Like the fandom. Yeah, there's some fun in there and there's some not fun in there. But uh, I mean, it was... the fun and the like deep-seated racism. The fun, the hooligans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's difficult to deal with. But, you know, we, we hope that the game is changing for the better. But there was also an element for me in the beginning of this. There was this idea or this question of like, can I use these things that we're seeing? If it truly is a game, could someone play it so well and be what we call 4TWR for the wrong reasons, just going in to play the game, get Instagram followers, could somebody go in and do that as just like a pure piece of performance art almost and not really care about falling in love at all? That became a question to me. And so in writing this book, in developing these strategies, all of that really, I think, at its core level for me was in service of saying, can I actually apply this? Can I get somebody through this show? And that became a question that I uh, am now exploring. Do you think you can? <laughs> have you have you come to an answer to that question? Yes, I have. I have. Yes. <laughs> I don't who, know who, how much I can say. Obviously, <laughs> I can't say very much. So, but so you've definitely coached someone through the work. show, and it wasn't Ryan because that didn't go well for him. Ryan Fox, you're talking about the man with yeah. the boulders. No, he was he was not a player that I have uh, discussed you, you anything. You were not with. his his friend's wife who uh, wrote him some notes, no? I was the friend's wife, yeah. No, uh, no. Yeah, those printed out papers are the foundation of our book. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The sections that say, like, dream girl and... Yeah. yeah, uh, No, I think there is a reluctance, by the way, to call it a sport because there are human emotions involved. And I think that that is part of why probably not that many people see it that way. Maybe more and more are. Um, But it's definitely something that we don't deny that there are real human emotions. Like you can fall in love. You're also in this pressurized environment. It makes sense that people form like pretty deep bonds. I mean, I'm sort of curious about I guess the just the idea of having jargon for The Bachelor. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like what do you think that like does? Like just the fact of having a specialized jargon, like, do you think that it changes the way that people are able to look at the show in some way that's different from just analyzing it um, sort of without creating the special language? Absolutely. It gives you a shorthand. Every sport has this. And that was something that we did very consciously in the beginning of this. And, uh, you know, if you look at baseball, like a home run has a bunch of different names. It's a home run. It's a homer. It's a dinger. It's going yard. It has all of these colloquial terms. And every sport has that for like everything, you know, a touchdown is a touchdown, a TD, taking it to the house. There's a bunch of different terms that you can use for it. And so for us, we wanted to develop like a fun language that could refer to these repeating things in the game. One of the terms that we came up with 
I'll just say this. One of our goals was to have our terminology eventually sucked up into the game. We want to see it in the show, in what we call the document. We are so close to that happening right now. We invented a term called the hooju, which is it's short for hug jump. And that's when the player runs and jumps on the bachelor, wraps their legs around them. And we've seen all kinds of terminology coming from the show. They call it the run and jump or all this kind of stuff. But we saw last year, Tyler Cameron was doing an interview with Entertainment Weekly uh, or E! News. Sorry, it was. And uh, he gets asked about that. And he says, yeah, that's called the hooju. That's blah, 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 blah. We know the producers now use that term and have taken it from us. And they call it that internally. And we even saw this past week, Bachelor ABC official Instagram account puts out a promo with what they call the run and jump or they call it the hug and jump or something. I forget what they call it. And in the comments, Jesse Palmer, the official host of the show, says hooju three fire emojis so now the host <laughs> of the show is using our terminology on an official bachelor instagram account we're very close to seeing that in the actual document i feel like a year wow. away maybe congratulations that thank is, you that is huge for, <laughs> for the potentially it is huge for, us. <laughs> for the potentially uninitiated um, among our listeners can you kind of take us through a handful of the kind of most core basic shorthand that you guys use to discuss and, and analyze bachelor statistics. Yeah, our main one is for TRR here, which is for the right reasons. And that is the fundamental rule of the game that we see it. You cannot break this. You have to appear that you are there for love, that any other positive things that come out of it, the travel, the clout, the endorsements, et cetera, that that's just all like a excess result of your pursuit for true love. And Getting hired by Warner Brothers to do an official Bachelor Nation podcast. That's uh -huh. just, hey, that was just like lucky. That. It was, I don't know how that happened. That's not what I'm here well, for. Well, it's not though. because they're good at podcasting. Yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, my roasted. God. How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Slander. <laughs> uh, and 4TWR is here for the wrong reasons. If you get accused of that, you often get kicked out of the game pretty, pretty fast. If you're, you know, people have accused people of 4TWR on a number of things. There's Foldergate. There's, you know, Tammy Lye accusing McKenna Dorn of using hashtags. That would be for a 4TWR accusation. Derek was accused of coming on for podcasting. Yes, on, on, on yeah. Paradise, which was one of my favorite moments of all time. Absolutely. People do come on for podcasting. Of so, course. you know, and Instagram. You it's like if you're if you're shitting on Instagram on the idea of people talking about Instagram followers and you think that's 4TWR, delete your Instagram account, grocery store Joe. You got 1.1 million <laughs> followers. You don't need them though, right? Delete it. That'll never happen. We also no, use, he's just, uh, you know, he he could sell his tomato sauce on any platform. Okay, Chad? He can't help <laughs> it if people want to see what he's yeah, up to. He doesn't need Instagram. It's like this old Instagram oh is just for my family and friends, but everyone yeah. else wants my to watch. My 1.1 so million weird. family and friends. Yeah. We also use PTC, as we mentioned. That's the personal tragedy card. We have IFI, which is injury, fear, or illness play. These can be real, imagined, faked, whatever. Tierra Lacazzi, season 17, was probably the greatest IFI player in history we use uh 
The proprietary kind of statistical term that we came up with is the rose quotient, which is a number that gets assigned to a player that tells you how good they are at getting roses outside of rose ceremonies. And you calculate it by you give it uh, every rose has a numerical value. Any rose given outside of a rose ceremony is a zero. So we're talking about first impression rose, one on one date rose, group date rose, knock knock rose and final rose and any weird special roses in between. And then every other rose that's given in a rose ceremony gets a value commensurate to the order it was given. So like the first rose of the night is a one, so on and so forth, two, all the way down to like in a night one, you can have as high as a 20 point rose. And then you take all of those values, you average them out, and that's your rose quotient. And you want the lowest number possible. So like a perfect rose quotient is a zero. You would have gotten no roses at any rose ceremony, all extra value roses. It's never happened. Highest or the best rose quotient in history, Pace Case. I'll let you take it away. I know this is it's your favorite Caitlin player. It's Caitlin Bristow, who I believe to be the greatest player of all time. She got a ton of group date roses. She has the lowest score. It's amazing. She's amazing. A .74, <laughs> sub one. That's relatively unheard of. It's fascinating to see that and then to be like, oh, well, that does really correlate to her being like, this all-star in the franchise like it's not just some random player who has that kind of quotient um and you see like cassidy actually explicitly called that out in the episode this week where she's like i got the first non-rose ceremony yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. which she didn't because she didn't get the first impression rose but like she whatever she feels really good about her group date rose (laughs) and she's like this is a more valuable of. data in her head she has a lot of There's strategy lot going on. and um, yeah. not sure how well any of that was deployed but it, it was present certainly yes she certainly <laughs> has some knowledge of it and we talk about in in our show we say being in in quotes the pit is kind of a metaphor for having a high understanding of the game and having your life taken over by fandom of this game and uh really it's come to be synonymous with just listening to our podcast game of roses And we always are speculating about who might or might not be in the pit because we don't really know who's listening to our show. We know there are some players who have. We know that there are some producers who have, some executives at ABC who have and all that. Name some names. We can never do that, obviously. (laughs) This is about the book, Emma. Let's like, let's be (laughs) No, I'm here for Um, this. This is about the book. (laughs) This is a literary podcast. Um, I wanted to talk... A little bit more about the sports element, um, because Mm -hmm. it's been just in my mind so much this season, which is so sportsy. Um, At various points, you know, your book touches on kind of the love story between The Bachelor and the NFL. The former or like failed NFL player is uh, such a frequent contestant type on The Bachelorette. Um, Jesse Palmer was actively a quarterback, I think, when he was The Bachelor, and he's not the only like... NFL bachelor um what do you think this like friendship between the two leagues or this affinity reveals about what they share like and like especially the bachelor like what does it show us that it's so close with the NFL don't get Chad started <laughs> yeah I know you should handle this question Lizzie this, this will be the rest of the podcast my <laughs> in three sentences <laughs> Look, I barely know anything about the NFL, but what I do know about it is all Bachelor related. And we just saw Jesse Palmer do a Bachelor promo 
for the college football. I guess that's not the NFL, but it might as well be college it's, football championships. <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, and in by the way, in Jesse Palmer's season at the beginning, he had a binder full of the women, and he had other players on his team look through it and say who they thought would match well with Jesse Palmer. It was a great like season if you're going to rewatch because they and, had a spy that season who was yeah. his friend. I read that and I was like, I immediately now need to watch this season. Yeah, that, that is one is of the seasons like I've ever seen. Especially now that Jesse is back on our screens. I feel like I don't yeah. know nearly enough yeah. about him. It's a fascinating season if you can get to it. It was the first first impression rose. That's when they invented it. They also had the first, what we call a resurrection, a player coming back after being dismissed. That was Trish Schneider, who was that season's villain and FIMP recipient. And she came back to try and crash a fantasy suite dinner date between Jesse Palmer and a player named Mandy J. Jeffries, who was a Texas pageant queen, whose own mother told Jesse Palmer she would make, in quotes, a good NFL wife. That really is like the concept of the show. It's oh like, my God. who would be the best NFL the wife, best NFL... even if they're marrying a pilot? And there is a reason that so many pageant girls come up within Bachelor World. There's like a, a real affinity between like Miss America and Miss USA and that entire pipeline and The Bachelor, which you also mention in, in the book, which I loved. Yeah. The Bachelor is the marriage of the NFL and pageants. On Mandy yes. J. Jeffrey's hometown date, they showed Jesse this room of their house, of her parents' house, that was all pageant awards, too. It was just a pageant room. <laughs> I think the NFL is, like, you know, patriarchal. There's, like, certain things that are in the NFL that are very similar to The Bachelor. It's, like, slow to change. It's still pretty homophobic. Uh, you know, there's a certain amount of physical and psychological damage that's done to the players that we sort of just skirt over with CTE. And we see a similar thing in The Bachelor with, you know, psychological um, damage, which is starting to get more more traction that people are looking at it, that they want mental health uh, support for players after this because of what they deal with. It tr it really, too, I think, is like it is the old way of thinking about America. It is American idealism from a far bygone era. You see American flags in every football game. There's a national anthem. You see American flags everywhere in The Bachelor. Uh, and they it's it's like part and parcel with like, this is what America is. It's straight people dating and guys kicking the shit out of each other for your entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> and they even bring football into The Bachelor where they have people do... I mean, shit. Pilot Pete's season had... Uh, this is season 24 of The Bachelor, of course. Had a group date on an NFL field where they forced the players to fucking tackle each other. They played tackle football. And we've seen them go to many NFL stadiums and have many group dates in those stadiums. It's very intertwined. And the truth of all this is there are owners of the teams in NFL... And there are owners of The Bachelor. We're talking about Warner Brothers and really the people at the top, Mike Fleiss, the big executive producers who have a piece of that show. They are making so much money off of it. And it's a lie. They're just promoting lies. The Bachelor is not a show about finding love. It is not a process to help people find love. It is a minefield set up by these producers to produce nervous breakdowns in people and the most emotional stress they can possibly have on camera. That's what we're watching. The NFL is the same way. Yes, we care about who wins and loses the games and we have our favorites and all that. But what we're really watching that for is violence. 
And that's what it's really about. These super rich people getting more rich off these rank and file players committing acts of violence. And The Bachelor is the same. Super rich people getting rich off these rank and file players committing acts of emotional trauma against one another. So what you're saying is that it's essentially Squid Game. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Bachelor is like an emotional squid game. An emotional yeah. squid game and, and similarly um, involves the incredible like, fetishization of capitalism. Yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. The pretty woman date? I mean, Jesus Christ. When they force whoever gets the pretty woman date to come back into the house arms laden with bags of shoes and clothes and diamonds and all the other players are like, oh, I'm jealous. Of what? Of just materialism. These things that are, you know, they really are representative of this idea of like, if I can just find, at least in The Bachelor, a rich person to take care of me, my life will be perfect. Yeah, that's that's completely true, which is funny because the show uh, has this weird relationship with money. Like these people go on the show. They're not paid. They're paid in exposure. Basically, I, I was actually struck that you made that comment earlier about college football being sort of the same as the NFL, um, except for this fetishization of amateurism, that, like, these players are just in it for mm -hmm. the love of the game. They love doing the bowl game, even though they might get injured and ruin yeah. their chance at an NFL career. They should just do it anyway for the love of sports. And meanwhile, there are college football coaches making, like, $10 million salaries. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing now a lot more awareness about the the need to professionalize college sports and pay these athletes. Should Bachelor contestants be paid to go on the show? Yes. Like, should they be treated as professional athletes? A hundred percent. And the fact, we talk a lot about this on our show, The we've gone through the contract that players have to sign to go into the show. It is, I've never seen anything like it. There's a clause in it that literally says you have to forfeit your civil rights that's in the contract. You basically allow them carte blanche to cut you any way they want, to do anything they want to you, reuse your audio in ways you never said it, make words out of syllables that you never said, and none of them are paid. They are on a television show. I think what is going to wind up happening in the very near future is there's going to be some kind of unionization of reality television actors. And when that happens, there will be certain minimums guaranteed. You're at least going to have to get a day rate or something, some monetary compensation for taking, in some cases, two months out of your life, quitting your job, leaving your friend, all the shit, you know, I think, yes, they should be paid. And I think they will be. I think that time is coming. No, I totally agreed. Uh, I totally agree. I think that they should, they should be paid. Our producer, Tamika, is is curious if you can specify which civil rights you believe are, are violated by the show. <laughs> All? I mean, <laughs> you walk into that house. Here's the first thing that happens. Give us your cell phone, a.k.a. your ability to communicate with anyone outside of this bubble so that we have complete psychological control of you. We will tell you when to sleep. We will tell you when you can go to the bathroom, when you can eat, when you can't eat etc 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 so just personal autonomy is taken away immediately you have no your cell phone is your main anything. civil right <laughs> well i mean it is at this point i know that that can be like equated to like social media or whatever and that's a part of it but your phone is your ability to connect to anyone in the outside world to receive news to, i mean when people are in this bubble they're not told like we we found out uh on season 21 when rachel Lindsay was shooting it she has gone on podcasts and talked about the fact that she's on a plane to Finland to go have her fantasy suite with Nick Vial 
and then lands and finds out Donald Trump has won the election. So when you're in yeah. that bubble, you can't vote. You don't get any news about who's potentially winning or losing the most important election in contemporary American history. You don't know anything. And that's where it starts. Then you get into how they're going to edit you. They're going to make you look like anything. And you cannot sue this company for slander, for libel, for anything that might happen to your life as a result of how they're portraying you, no matter if how they're portraying you is a lie or not. And in every case, by the way, it's a lie, even through omission of footage. None of us know the whole story of what's going on behind the, the scenes of that show ever. And in many cases, it's, I think, actually contrary to what actually happens. So uh, this is just tip of the iceberg, though. I would, you know, you can get that contract online. You just go to The Bachelor and pretend you're signing up. There's the contract. Read it. It's crazy. I also think they should pay them because essentially you're entering a lottery when you sign up for the show at this point, like of whether you're going to be able to get enough followers to do that spawn con to make up for whatever in financial investment you've made going on the show. Like yeah. some people come out with a million mm -hmm. followers and have a career and some people are night one players never to be seen again. Not as lucky as GSJ grocery store. Jack. Who famously just said on <laughs> clickbait that when you go into the game, it, it, what, how did he say it? Uh, it depends on who you wind depends up. Depends on. Yes. Is what he said. So he is aware of the fact that when you go into the game, you have no control over in quotes who you wind up being. That is the producers. That is the edit. And some people get what he gets. 1.1 million followers. He is the host of a popular uh, Warner Brothers owned clickbait. His fiance is now the co-host of the Warner Brothers owned happy hour. Their whole relationship has been monetized by Warner Brothers and they reap all the benefits. Meanwhile, you see plenty of other people's lives destroyed, or at least for a little while, their lives were destroyed by their experience in this with bad edits and uh, producers not supporting them. Yeah. It's it's completely true. It's a brutal, brutal game. And uh, it has been interesting to see contestants and leads talk about that more openly over the last few years, while always giving themselves some plausible deniability that they are approaching it as a game. Um, one thing that I've been really struck by this season, I mentioned that it's a very sportsy feeling season, is that Clayton sounds like he's a football coach all the time like he's talking about <laughs> his bachelorettes and he's like oh i'm really loving the effort i'm seeing out of you out there or like your bold moves are a great differentiator from the others yeah. he's really assessing their potential he's like maybe one day you 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 will move off of the practice team and into the starting line like he is is really bringing that energy <laughs> this season um we we are reading every episode on a scale of Bud Lights for its tailgate energy, because that is just like very present. Oh my God. <laughs> He's just reading game tape all the time. And I'm like, does Clayton understand that this is a sport? Is he the first bachelor to really be like, I'm approaching this as the coach of a team of great bachelorettes? Or does he just not know how else to talk about anything? And is that's, that the problem? Yeah, that's I it. Really I think that's the real answer. <laughs> I mean, shit, right before his limo exit started, he was like clapping his hands and screaming, let's go. That's like his go. Let's go. Let me see these limo exits. Come he's, on. He's pumping himself up. Let's go. Yeah. I think that, that is was when it moment. came to us. We were like, oh, my God, this is. Yep, that's this season. This is going to okay. be the longest tailgate party of 
of all time. I think, honestly, like why The Bachelor really likes to cast ex-NFL players or anybody who is in some kind of sporting system is because of that mentality. Clayton Eckerd or anyone, Colton was this way too, anybody who goes through that system has been, has had like a, uh, generally speaking, a male coach figure in their life telling them exactly what to do from the time they were zero years old all the way up through their professional career. So even as like a man in your mid-20s, you've still got this other dude telling you what to do, what to do, this is what you have to do, and yelling at you and all this shit. So when they come into The Bachelor, that idea of like, you have a pre-programmed system of behaviors and we're going to tell you exactly what to do, they're much more pliable because their entire life has been molded by the idea that you have to follow directions of the authority figure. And the show steps in to become that authority figure. That's also why I believe, uh, you know, like, Christian players do very well in the game because that's another set of like very rote doctrine that is given to you by an authority figure. And so if you can get the double whammy of Christian player and NFL player, you're like, that's our bachelor, you know? Wow. That is so, so true. And I think also speaks to why pageant queens tend to be mm. kind of the female yeah. because they're very used to, to, yeah, to proving their appeal to an authority figure and mm -hmm. to performing for them and getting their approval. And those are just the, t the two genders in American Those pop are the culture, two genders. Pageant queens <laughs> are so good at this game. And we are so excited to watch Susie play because she is just, we predicted from her Instagram that she would be the next Bachelorette or win the ring, uh, which is whoever gets the final rose. And we're already seeing she is playing this Hannah Brown-esque brand flawlessly so far. And when, and when Cassidy was like, she's not going to stick around. Players like that never stick around. And we were like, she's top two. Like, I don't know what you're <laughs> I know. It's like, Cassidy, about. wow. You have, like, read a, a lot about this show. And you have taken all of the wrong lessons from it. Like, Susie <laughs> is so obviously a star right here. Yes. I, I feel like she might be the, the winner of this season. But if not, definitely a contender for next I, bachelorette for what it's worth my prediction is there are no winners that after clayton issues his announcement that he was intimate with both of the finalists they are both going to go seek the bachelorette crown one will be successful i think it'll be Susie evans but i don't think clayton's walking out of this with a partner it's not looking good on that front. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I always love a season where the women begin to like have low-key overt disdain for The Bachelor. That's why Juan Pablo season is one yeah, of like, the greatest I only of like all Juan times. Pablo season. <laughs> yeah, it's the only one um, because every woman like kind of hated him, and it was fantastic to watch. So I'm really pulling for that with with Clayton. Yeah, <laughs> although we should never underestimate the capacity of women on this show to swallow a lot of humiliation to end up with The Bachelor, at least temporarily, um, mm -hmm. which is why I think we've seen so many switcheroos from, from our bachelors. Uh, but we're going to take, I think, a quick break, and we'll be right back with much more with Chad and Lizzie. Can you keep up? I like love it. If you want to bring coziness into your life, uh, and I mean, who doesn't, <laughs> turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially right now, because the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite Lux home blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. 
Dressing head-to-toe in barefoot dreams is the key to comfort, as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. And their products make the perfect gifts, too. I would certainly love to be given something from Barefoot Dreams. I just acquired the robe, and it is like the softest robe I have ever put on my body. It's so cozy. It's so warm. It's beautiful. It has a nice drape and weight to it. I wear it whenever I have the opportunity. I just want to wear it constantly. And I think everyone should have that kind of comfort and coziness in their lives. For Love to See It with Emma and Claire listeners, you can get 15% off of your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code LTSI15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes there will be something that is just like nagging at me, bothering me about something in my life, and I just swirl it around and around and around in my head and don't quite know how to address it. And something that can really help me sort that through and like take action is therapy. I completely agree. I've been really stressed lately because I've just been getting sick over and over again. And before I know it, I'm feeling a lot of emotions and I don't even connect where they're coming from with the actual origin. We all carry around these stressors, right? And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a great safe space to get things off of your chest and figure out how to actually work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash love to see it today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love to see it. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. 
one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link... Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for three weeks, and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. Springtime vibes are in the air, and when you bring in some of the beautiful flowers that are blooming, you probably want to smell the flowers, not the litter box. But thanks to Pretty Litter, you'll be able to smell those spring flowers all you want. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odors. It's ultra-absorbent, it's lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illnesses in your cat. And if all of that wasn't enough, Pretty Litter ships free right to your door. You'll never run out, you won't have huge kitty litter bags taking up space, and even better, you won't have to lug those huge tubs from the store to your car or the subway and into your house. Our producer Talon has been using Pretty Litter and he just raves about how great it is, how easy it is to scoop how much better it smells. I mean, the health monitor aspect gives so much peace of mind. He's a big fan, and we know that you will be too. Go to prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. prettylitter.com slash LTSI. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we're back. Uh, so we we wanted to ask you, this is basically just like uh, a logistical question. Like your book is just about The Bachelor. It's not, we've been talking about The Bachelorette. We've been talking about Bachelor in Paradise. Why did you decide that you wanted this book to just be about the the kind of original franchise? We decided The Bachelor was where we should start because that's where the franchise started we have vague plans to go and do a hyperbitch of The Bachelorette, but as it stands, we spent two and a half months watching The Bachelor on two times speed every day, all day, and that was that was enough for now. We will we will move on to The Bachelorette <laughs> once we've recovered from that. But I think that both of them have very different strategies. You're seeing, and for us. We enjoy The Bachelor better because we believe that the women are better players. Um, I think they seem much more competitive. And I think 
the women are able to get larger Instagram numbers as well from going on the show. I think we are going to start to see the male player pools do better now that it's more mainstream, the idea that you can launch a career from this, but we haven't seen them catch up to the female players in terms of competitiveness yet. And the stats are different, you know, in terms of like first impression roses, meaning how far you get in the game in Bachelorette, it's a a much higher percentage Mm -hmm. than is true of, I believe in the Bachelor only, no, it's Hannah Sluss won the FIMP and the ring. Somebody else did too in the early, early seasons. All of this is in our book. I don't have it off the top of my head, but, um, you know, in Bachelorette, there are many, many more first impression rose winners that go on to win the ring. So like the stats don't weight the same. Yeah, it's interesting. I do selfishly want you to write a book about The Bachelorette just that I can (laughs) see more of how differently those things break because it's presented as it's the same format. It's just gender flipped, but they really do turn out to be different in so many ways. So we will wait. We'll wait on that future. Volume. Yeah, we're we're hoping for future volumes, but also respect your right to <laughs> emotionally and psychologically. Oh God. You so. have no idea. The end of that hyper binge was I felt relief, certainly, but I also felt like, oh, I can literally do anything. I felt like I might be able to have superpowers at the end of it, throw a car down the street or start flying because I was like, there's no way we should have been able to do this. And we did it. It was just, I don't know. I remember that day when we finished it. And I just remember the feeling of like, this is the greatest endeavor that I have ever undertaken. And it will be my my greatest accomplishment, probably on my tombstone. He did the hyper binge. <laughs> It really like our first question for you about the hyper binge was, are you okay? And it sounds like both yes and no. Yeah. Sort of forever no. scarred, but also stronger. We we did it during deep COVID, which I suppose we're in again. Uh, and, you know, I I don't it was so much work and you know, recording the stats also like if you're just watching, maybe it's like maybe a little bit more fun, but when you're like marking down every single play, it can get to be a grind. That was going to be our our next question. Um, We're curious if you could. How do you keep up while watching it on two times and also taking all the stats down? Like I would just get completely lost. What was your process for kind of making sure that you were properly tracking all of that data? We had to go back. (laughs) I think we actually had to probably rewatch uh, season one or something because we we didn't know exactly what we were tracking when we started and then we've sort of evolved the process to be much more intricate and to say like what date everything happened on etc um i do feel this like i mean this is probably speaks to whether i'm okay or not but i feel this deep longing to do the bachelorette hyper binge because there are gaps in our knowledge and like we say very specifically that the book is only The Bachelor, but it's possible some things that we say first happened during this season on The Bachelor, it's possible some of those happened on The Bachelorette before in linear time, but we just don't know that yet. Right. It's like, did that innovation actually, yeah, happen right. elsewhere? Yeah. But we like, have, you know, thousands of pages of typed out summaries of everything that's ever happened in The Bachelor. We have spreadsheets for every season that contain 
every player, their hometown, their age, all the basic stats, but then also every play they've made in every week. This is how many kisses they have, if they had a steal, if they got a rose, what the different group date types were, who did what on those group dates, Tattling. all the rose ceremony orders, like everything, you know. We, we have stats I for think hometowns, probably, whether yeah. you get blessings and glows, whether you get mom Not tears. <laughs> Have you sent any of this raw data to any players or potential players? No. I mean, nobody's seen these spreadsheets except us, really. And uh, I don't know what anyone would make of them. Probably nothing (laughs) good. If they saw them, they would just be like, oh, my God, they're insane. I mean, they're like, here is uh, the name of my therapist. I think, you know. Could be really useful for you. I'd be like, I'm sorry, Chad and Lizzie, you have to leave the mansion. I feel very uncomfortable. I've lost the trust. If they saw our folders on night one, it would be a whole different story. (laughs) It would be very hard. So you did this, this very taxing process. You wrote this book and it's called How to Win the Bachelor. Is that how you see it? Is this your bid to, to really fully coach people who want to be on the show into getting on the show and making a deep run? Or do you see it as more of just like a little peek inside the process for the rest of us? We definitely see the format as if you want to go on the show, read this book, you will know everything and more that you need to know. Although, you know, one of the big things that we talk about, especially in the preseason, is you're developing your brand and you're picking these things that you already have about you. So you do need to apply it to your individual case. But we tried to make it fun and relatable for everyone and people who may be more casual viewers of The Bachelor as well to... It's basically a handbook for how we see the show. It's a fun way that others can see the show. I definitely think it will transform the way that you watch if you read it. (laughs) It's basically like, you know, if you ever go to a live baseball game, which I used to do all the time with my dad, there'd always be somebody sitting around you who had a baseball scorebook and they were keeping score of the game as it was happening. Every pitch, every ball, every strike, all that kind of stuff. This book will allow you to do that for the show. It will give you a new way to engage with the show, especially if you've been watching uh, for a long time and you may not even be aware of some of these plays that are happening it's going to give you the ability to like every second of the show you're going to be looking for a certain play to happen or not happen or how good this one is or what kind of play it may be and i think it i mean for us it has definitely enriched the way we watch the show this is now the only way i can see it is as this game with these components and it becomes for me anyway way more fun because you're not now just looking for drama or like trying to go along with the lie that any of these players give a shit about The Bachelor at all, you can see like, oh, they're making these plays to try and make it through the game. And I don't mean to say that like they don't fall in love. As we said, they do. But in order to win that ring, in order to wind up with The Bachelor, you must win a 10-round game of attrition. You must do that. And in order to do that, you have to be making these good plays. As a fan of the show and a professional analyst, Do you feel like it's fundamentally a good thing for players to come in with more kind of fully formed strategic game plans to leverage the show into a potential influencing career rather than sort of wide-eyed and more innocently, which we really did see them do in the very early era, specifically on season one, which 
Claire and I spent some time digging into and recapping um, a couple years ago because they just like didn't know what the fuck was going on. But even in that season, there was a player when they're on that group date in Las Vegas and they're walking through, I think it's the Bellagio, maybe the the uh, Mm -hmm. the lobby of it. There is a player who gives an ITM that says it was so cool. Everybody was looking at us. And I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) Even in season one, the idea of fame was in it, that this is at least a byproduct of your appearance within the game. And like you're saying, of course, nobody knew that it was going to spawn 20 years worth of franchise material or that Instagram would even be a thing. But that idea of like, I'm doing this to be on TV, that at the very least was always there. Um, Sure, sure. But there was definitely like a lot of the women that we've interviewed who were on season one really also saw it as like, I'm single. I'm bored. This is a crapshoot. This is like a blind date and it probably won't ever be aired. Right. Like there's a fundamentally there fundamentally wasn't really Mm -hmm. a clear strategy to be had. And now there is like, do you see that iteration as as a good thing? We try to not put any moral uh, <laughs> summaries on anything that is going on in our beloved game now. Not We probably have in the past, and we're trying to get away from that, especially now that we have, you know, we've met some of the players now, and it's like you don't know anything about them from watching them. But we did definitely see way more players winging it seeming unprepared we have people flaming out on night one who get too drunk uh, you're not seeing any of that anymore everyone who comes in is prepared and we believe that you should prepare as much as possible the problem is is that when you have a strategy you have to hide it and you have to be coming off as genuine as possible your ideal is you want to come off like Susie. Susie is clearly well-trained She knows what she's doing, but she doesn't seem like it. She seems like she's just like, oh, wow, this like Disney princess is on our screens, essentially. Yeah, I think it's not even like a question for us of like a moral question, but just like, will it make the show? Has it made the show feel more canned that like so many contestants are performing in this really skillful, intentional way? And I go back and forth on that, um, especially as I was reading your book. I was like, yeah, it is kind of interesting to see these players come in and be really smart and strategic about it. But sometimes it's really fun to see people just having no idea what they're doing. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing so little of that these days, it seems like. I to me, the thing that makes to me, the thing that makes the show feel canned is the producers. Their hand is so heavy now in everything Mm -hmm. you're watching. And it seems like they might be letting up a little bit here in terms of at least the the amount of weight they're putting on the players. It looks like this season they might be manipulating Clayton more than they are the players because they somehow get him in the end to tell two players to their face that he had sex with both of them in a 48-hour span of time. That's unreal to me. But what you saw in like Matt James season 25 where they bring in five players in episode three or four to just destroy the entire season and they are keeping Victoria Larson around for a long time. I think a lot of viewers don't really understand how much the producers actually decide in what's happening. They decide who gets the first impression rose. They decide who gets almost every group date rose. They decide who gets the one-on-one dates. The lead has no control over any of that. And so really 
the best players have to play a strong third audience game. The third audience is the... We break it down into four audiences. The first audience that you're playing against is the lead, the bachelor or bachelorette. The second audience is the other players in the house with you. The third audience is the producers. And the fourth audience is us. So you have to be able to play to the third audience because they're the ones who actually determine how far you make it in the game. The bachelor or bachelorette chooses the top one or two players basically on night one, and that's it. The rest of the show is all manufactured by the producers. You have to have that strong third audience game to stick around. And I think even players who didn't come in with a strong strategy probably understand that very quickly when you're sitting in an ITM and in the moment, that's the direct two-camera confessional that the players will give in between scenes and stuff. Uh, you, I think, very quickly realize, like, oh, this is the person who actually decides if I get to stay or not. So you have a player like, let's say, Demi Burnett on season 23. I don't think she had any interest in Colton, but she was such a good, colorful narrator. She was so fucking funny, and she was obviously playing the game that the producers wanted her to play. So they're going to keep her around not only as long as they can in that season, but they're going to bring her back in successive seasons to be doing bits. They're going to bring her into two seasons of Paradise, and she gets to be the star of Paradise season six. It, I mean, that really is the game that you're ultimately playing is to the producers. Yeah, it's I love the way you divide it into the audiences and and this, you know, around this framework of selling the for the right reasons story. And like of the four audiences, producers just don't believe in for the right reasons, really. Like that's just a tool for them. Yeah. And the audience, many of them do really believe in it. And then as a contestant, you're sort of in this space where you can either play it very sincerely mm -hmm. or you can be cynical and be like, I know that this is a game. I have to pretend that yeah. I'm here for the right reasons. But like reading your book, I found myself really wondering, like, do we want an audience and a player pool who everyone thinks of it as all a lie like the central rule of this is all a lie because if no one believes in the central rule of for the right reasons does the game exist anymore you know what i mean like it's it's fundamentally sort of a game of deceit and performance and if there's no audience who's going to buy this performance of it then mm. like does the game fall apart i would point you to a billion dollar company called the wwe World oh, Wrestling that's, Entertainment. That's so the entire mm. thing's a lie. The entire audience knows <laughs> it's a lie. And it's gigantic. It's bigger than it's ever been. No one cares. We just want to see the play. We want to see the yeah. pageantry and the show. That is, for me, what is the most entertaining element of this. I'm never watching it for a love story. I don't give a shit. Because they all <laughs> wind up breaking up anyway. And even when they stay together for like six months or a year after, very usually, hate to break it to you, that's for Instagram. That's to get couple spawn con deals to make money off of it. And then, oh, we tried and it didn't work out and we all move on. You know, it's the rarity that they actually wind up being married and having kids. There's only been one bachelor in history who married his ring winner. That is, of course, season 17, Golden Boy, Sean Lowe and Catherine Lowe now. And they have some kids together and they're kind of held aloft as the, the prime example of how the process can work. But for me personally, the game is like all that matters. That's why I'm watching it. And I... I would be happy to strip away all the other shit. <laughs> it also seems... That's a really good counterexample. Sorry, go on. Sorry. It it seems almost impossible to have relationships that are successful when the amount of time that they spend together with their ring winner is less than 24 hours total. Like, how can you possibly know? I say that, and then I'm like, wait, I think the married at first sight couples are probably more successful than the bachelor couples but 
I don't I don't know those stats. Yeah, there's a whole different psychology there, though, is like because then you're both like committing Mm -hmm. to be married to a stranger in a sort of an arranged marriage style setting. And you're supposed to go into the marriage expecting it to work. And instead, the bachelor are expecting to have to work on it. The bachelor sells you both this fairy tale Mm -hmm. based on experiencing these adrenaline rushes together. And then. Yeah it lets you down with a thud and you're like, oh, I, this person is a stranger. I don't have their phone number. Like, I don't know <laughs> anything about them. And yeah. it must be quite a come down. Yeah, um, I mean, that's certainly why I yeah. think we hear a lot of bachelor couples speak, especially like years out, very openly about the fact that they really started dating each other after filming ended, right? And then it's mm-hmm. just as much of a crapshoot of yeah. whether it's going to work as like anyone you went on a, set up date with you know it's yeah pretty well but it no this is it's it really is such an interesting way to think about because I feel like I fall into the middle in my viewing where I view it both as a game but also I'm fundamentally compelled into that game into a way that I'm not with traditional sports because Mm -hmm. it hits at kind of these soft emotional underbellies that a lot of us have and that is what's so interesting yeah (laughs) i mean i used to be a massive sports fan i used to love mixed martial arts then once i really started getting into the game of the bachelor i was just like i can't watch that shit now it bores me to fucking tears it's like okay two guys are gonna beat each other up or football is like a bunch of guys are gonna run around and throw this ball who cares this game the Bachelor is the, it's four audiences. It's like ten dimensional chess. It's all emotional manipulation, but there is some physicality in it. Sometimes you have to literally like take a punch to the head or something. You know, it's usually it just, in a bikini. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you have to fucking jump out of a boat a and feed hot dogs to pigs or <laughs> eat worms or whatever. It's just it is so crazy. And the level of play that all these players have to be delivering if you want to make it to the end of the game. It, you just have to be hitting on so many other levels that like, you know, Tom Brady is not going to be able to survive like a champagne gate and move on from that. Only players in our <laughs> beloved game can do these high level plays, I feel like. And I, for me, it's just like it's a much more fascinating game because it has so many more elements, including the stuff you're talking about. It's the emotional play really that makes it fascinating to me. Yeah, Emma, I would say I'm more in the middle camp with you. And this is something that Clues and I are always debating because I'll come away from the finale and I'll be like, well, I cried here. I cried here. Clues is like, I didn't cry. Yeah. Like, I know. (laughs) I feel nothing. Well, I mean, it's like we I mean, Emma and I definitely love love stories and like what the bachelor is is a sport designed to just like create a lot of love story narratives and like sports is a narrative making machine like you watch the nfl that's making stories of rivalries and underdogs and like come from behind victories and like there are people who analyze sports through that kind of story making lens as well and it's very tempting to get drawn into the story that this machine of the bachelor is like creating through all this gameplay and i think that's okay too like <laughs> stories stories feed the soul and humans yeah. need stories <laughs> i let um, me I've... have both chad okay <laughs> please i mean that's what we say in the book right up top that it is both it's a game but it is also about people sometimes falling in genuine love and that's Mm-hmm. That really is what makes it interesting. You you don't really ever see that on the football field, you know? A guy tackles <laughs> yeah. another guy and then they get up and kiss and they're like, I love you. <laughs> 
they it's should. It's a professional yeah. sport for people who grew up loving rom-coms, and that is the sport yes. that I crave. The Pretty yeah. Woman date is is part and parcel of that. It literally is taken from the movie Pretty Woman, the most successful romantic comedy box office-wise in history. Julia Roberts, of course, back in the 90s with Richard Gere. They just a took classic. that out of that movie and put it in season one. Shannon Oliver got the first Pretty Woman in season one. Uh, she got a necklace. She got a dress. He took her out to dinner and a rooftop She had to give hotel. that dress back, which I think is a real indignity. They would definitely let you keep the dress now. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I would more point likely. To there's many more. Sean Lowe, his there's... pretty woman. That was brutal. He literally <laughs> that, took the that, necklace that was, off that a neck. Was, yeah. Oh yeah, that was very brutal. That we we have interviewed her as well. And, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <laughs> the suffering. I mean, the the Shannon date is interesting too because back then they were still doing things like giving the princess date to the person who clearly would have wanted it the most. Yeah. And Shannon is just like the princess on the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you get to uh, Chris Souls' season. And of course, they can't give the princess date to Ashley I. She wants it so much. She's going to be much more interesting being upset that she didn't yes. get the princess date. They start finding all these new ways to use those tropes to to fuck with you. Oh, totally. I loved Ashley I's reaction to that. Ashley I with yeah. the corn. Oh my she God. is Jasmine, wore the dress okay? she would have worn on the princess date. She has a gown. She's not giving up this opportunity. Which is like the point of the uh, princess date is that they give you a dress. So like she she didn't understand. She didn't understand that you're she's she was too prepared for the she princess date. For any uh, prospective players who might be listening, if you do find yourself on the pretty woman date. Here's an experimental play that we've never seen that I think would be absolutely dominant to all four audiences. You go out, you have your great pretty woman date. They're going to give you all these bags to bring back so that all the other players have to see you coming in and they'll hate you, they'll target you. You sit down and you say, look, this date was fantastic. I'm not going to lie. I had the time of my life, but it could have been any one of us. And all this stuff that I have in these bags, please, all of you guys go through it. I want to share this date with you. Anything that fits, you take it. I'm going to keep this necklace or I'm going to keep this one thing, whatever it may be. But I want to share the pretty woman date with everyone. You win the second audience immediately. The third audience is like, damn, she knows how to run this game. The fourth audience loves you because you seem genuine, sincere, and generous. And this is going to get back to that first audience. One of those players is going to tell him she shared her jewelry, her shoes with us. And he's going to be like, shit. She's all right. Please do this if you're listening and you're a prospective player. This was this this was one of the points where I was like, oh my God, brilliant. Yes. I love this idea. I think that this someone needs to use this play. I I really hope yeah. to see it. And that actually segue is quite perfectly into the next thing that we wanted to talk about, which is we have a real interest and investment in the way that the show uses or doesn't use friendship within within this show that's you know ostensibly supposedly about love stories and yet obviously the people that are spending the most time together are all of the players spending time with each other um and we actually wrote a feature for vice last year about kind of the history of friendship on the bachelor bachelorette and and bachelor in paradise so we were really delighted to see you kind of zone in on the way that friendship can play a role in terms of gameplay um, and despite the trope of not here to make friends, which is arguably the, the most famous kind of phrase to come out of original old school bachelor, what did you find in, in the data when you looked at the way that friendship is deployed? 
while we talk about how there are 12 different archetypes in the beloved in our beloved game which the producers tend to put you into or maybe you gravitate towards when you're branding yourself in your application video in your intro package etc and one of those is the dynamic duo and the first one that we saw in The Bachelor was season 10, I believe, or was it eight? See, I get Andy and Travis Stork mixed up, but it was the same Su- two blonde women, <laughs> Susan and I can't remember what the other one's name is, but they became best friends and they the show highlighted this friendship for the first time. And then they ended up like holding hands through a like Olympic style uh what do you call it? It was like a triathlon or something. Triathlon. Yeah. I think it was Andy Baldwin because he was a triathlete or he was, he was involved yes, in was. those kind of things. And so he made them do that. Um, but you know, it, we think it's a fundamental strategy for a player when you go in and we talk about choosing your team on night one, because you go in and you should immediately identify who you think will be the strongest players and you want to align yourself with them not only because it'll make your time in-game easier because you'll have that emotional support, but also because we, since the Paradise era, we now have the ability to pair with people on Instagram and to do these collaborations, which you share your followers, et cetera. Maybe you start a podcast together. I'm still waiting for that, uh, the players of Matt James's season, who the foursome who started a podcast and that it quickly was disappeared. But it's a way to be successful outside of the game as well. And it's something that the the nation loves to see. We loved to ship, you know, Joe Park and Brendan Marias before Brendan's villain edit. Um, you know, be, in part because you're not actually seeing a lot of these love stories work out. And the friendship love stories do work out. You know, Jojo Fletcher and Becca Tilly being probably the most successful dynamic duo of all time. Becca Tilly was never the Bachelorette, but she has over a million followers in part due to her friendship with JoJo, who ended up becoming the Bachelorette. And, you know, I, people still love to watch them doing stuff together. They did, they've done joint spawn, spawn con. People have been bridesmaids in each other's wedding, et cetera. Yeah, we always think of Carly and Jade, who, like had a beautiful like emotional romantic friendship moment on BIP and it really I think like vaulted Carly in a way that she might not otherwise have to have that Mm -hmm. kind of visible tight bond with Jade who was such a breakout player on her season Um, we've definitely seen what seems like this strategy becoming more deliberate and successful in recent seasons and I was really struck this week to see that two of the night one girls, uh, Samantha and Lindsay D are now friends and are just like constantly posting about their friendship with each other and other various like bachelor alums on Instagram. Like, Oh, here's Samantha game night with a bunch of dudes from like the last couple seasons. And here's Lindsay being like, thanks to Tyler Cameron for setting me up with my new boyfriend. And I, I'm curious, like, do you think that this is going to be a viable pathway out of, like, night one obscurity for people <laughs> to really lean into the social networking aspect of it? 
Yes, 100%. Grocery Store Joe has proven to us that night one don't mean shit. If you're in the game, you're in the game. <laughs> and if you play it correctly, you can walk out of there with 1.1 million Instagram followers, sell all the sauce you want, and be telling all the lies you want on clickbait. Um, <laughs> when Do I, I sense a personal feud <laughs> with Grocery Store Joe? No, 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 no. Not with Grocery Store Joe. But the, the official Bachelor Nation podcast, happy hour, clickbait, to some degree talking it out, they are given marching orders by the producers of the Bachelor at large. So you see things, especially on, it, it really started crystallizing Bachelor in Paradise Season 7, where you saw narratives like Brennan Marais and Piper James coming in, immediately vilified. The producers kick them off the show, but on camera, they have grocery store Joe carry out that hit with whatever other players want to be involved in it. So and true. So then, the disgruntled females. The disgruntled mm -hmm. females. Yeah. God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then we cut to clickbait the very next day. Now grocery store Joe gets to speak from that pulpit about how righteous he was in that action. And there is no defense allowed from Marias or James in this because they own the show. So Warner Brothers now can control the narrative, not only in the official document, they then have this post narrative that happens in these official Bachelor Nation podcasts where all the lies of the show are upheld. And uh, to me, that's absolutely fascinating. We're really seeing this, this next generation of the show where the podcasts are a part of upholding whatever narrative they're telling in the show. It really is like pro wrestling in that way. Oh, yeah. No, that's so true. And frankly, as podcasters, um, I am bitter that they're trying to steal our thunder. But like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> they're trying to shoulder. As a, I mean, it really used to be much easier to get people to come on, like contestants to come on and talk honestly about their experience. And now it's like, I mean, they're, yeah, they're they funneled. They're funneled into those into those proprietary shows that are used to push, you know, and, and people are also um, much more precious about upsetting the larger yeah. structure of of the bachelor production world. Yeah. Like There's people a lot used at stake to, for them. Yeah, people used to come on our podcast and just be like, "Fuck it," ask for you know yeah. forgiveness, not permission. I mean, they really the the <laughs> franchise, the powers that be, as they're sometimes called in the forums. Um, they really use carrot and stick against these players. There are they successfully sued Luke Parker for going on a podcast and revealing something about his uh, the production of his season. They sued him successfully for a hundred thousand dollars. That's out there. They send cease and desists constantly, always, every day to everyone. And the flip side is also true. If you're a player and you see the benefit of like what Becca Kufrin, Tia Booth grocery store Joe, Serena Pitt, any of the company players who are hosting one of these podcasts, you see that they're making massive amounts of money on these podcasts. Their edits are always super clean. They're protected within the nation. Those players will never have a bad edit, ever. In fact, they might edit someone else poorly to make them look better. And when you see that that's the potential benefit of towing the company line, of course you're going to fucking do it. Who doesn't want to have that as a job? It's the easiest job in the world. <laughs> You just tell some lies for an hour every week, you know? Um, another dynamic duo that we really wanted to discuss is Shanae and Cassidy because they are <laughs> really, they have just shown this, this episode. Um, have we ever before seen an on-screen dynamic duo strategy paired so clearly with villainy? No. Like, do you think that this was intentional? 
I I would love to see a successful villain dynamic duo. I loved watching it last night until it I was I told Chad this. I was like it I really liked watching them pair up in this way until it took a turn with the ADHD conversation. And I was like, oh, well, not long for this world <laughs> once once it goes there. But, and I saw someone refer to it on Twitter as a diabolical duo. And I was like, that is amazing. That is exactly what they were doing. No, we have it. And also Cassidy openly coaching Shanae. I don't think we've ever seen that before either, being yeah. like, I'm going to tell you how to win this group date. Take it from don't me, be jealous. the sensei. Don't be jealous, Lizzie, okay? Like, don't be jealous. Don't You'll be jealous. get your turn. <laughs> I mean, if they would have done it correctly, like, if you had two true villains that were actually like good players, dynamic duoing through a season, they would run the fucking table because you basically then have the ability to tattle and have a corroborator in any given situation. So you could go to the bachelor and be like, oh, this other player, some, you know, whatever, red flags for TWR. And then you have your buddy, your dynamic duo villain partner go in right after that and say the exact same thing. Whoever then you're targeting is gone immediately because you have the weight of volume behind that. That's, that's a really, I'd love to see that play out, but they are just flaming out so quickly yeah. i think we have perhaps seen it on bachelorette because jj and clint were sort of given mm -hmm. this edit but i don't think that they were doing that on purpose and <laughs> cassidy seems no. to be yeah. uh, kind of playing into the villain edit um but i do think we want to discuss cassidy a little bit more because we have a lot to say she's clearly like trying to lean into this on social media and like craft this image of herself as being self-aware about what's going on, but she's coming off like she actually is very unself-aware. Um, on the show, she's doing this really overt gameplay. She's talking a lot about her strategy, but also the strategy is has a lot of holes, let's say. Like, we really need your take on this combination <laughs> of moves from Cassidy. I don't know what holes you're talking about. It's yeah. flawless. <laughs> she's going to win the, the ring, right? I think it kind of goes back to what you guys were saying earlier. Like, she knows a lot about strategy. She's just not executing it properly. In fact, she's executing it exactly incorrectly, the opposite of what she should be doing in many cases. And all the stuff she's doing on social media seems like, in my opinion, there's way too much of it, and it's way too fast and loose. You have to, especially if you're getting a villain edit, your social media has to be impeccable after that and as that edit is airing so that you can then potentially have a redemption arc in the Women Tell All, which will lead to your paradise narrative. What she's doing now is kind of blowing herself up. All that said, I assume she gets kicked off next week. A week later, nobody's going to even fucking remember her name. That is what Bachelor is. You just move through the season and then who becomes the next most important player? She was kind of the... She was the most important player of last night's game, obviously. But I don't think she's going to be the most important player of next week's game. And then she's not, I think, probably going to be in the show. And so then it just moves on to like, who's the front runners? Who's the next villain? Then we go into playoffs and now we're into hometowns, fantasy suites. She will be completely forgotten. And I think they will bring her back for, on uh, Paradise because she's so bombastic. And they're like, well, let's see what happens with this. They brought back Victoria yeah. Larson, you know. I yeah. think they'll they'll see a similar kind of yeah. thing with Cassidy. I was actually wondering whether they're going to bring Cassidy back for BIP. Because I think Shanae definitely will be on BIP. But Cassidy yes. is doing something interesting. 
with her villain edit. Like she literally posted on her Instagram story a story where she talks about the fact that she got kicked off. And we didn't see that last night. So she spoiled herself. Like to me, that seems like a real not tactical move um, with production. And I wonder if she has like taken it too far to the point where they're just going to be like, we we don't want you anywhere near our game. Yeah. Spoiling is probably one of the worst third audience moves you can make. I do think she'll be on Paradise. I think that her and Shanae might like enter the game together as this diabolical That's, duo. I feel like if if they do bring her back, I could see them bringing her back with Shanae and pairing them together to sort of lean into what was done well, which was this extremely chaotic, like doomed friendship. Um, and yeah. I would be on board to see more of that. There's never more eyes on you, by the way, than right now in your social media and she's posting videos and then deleting them. And it's like, these are forever. Anything you put is forever. People are recording as soon as you post it. So we, we do not advise the Cassidy uh, parasocial strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So we wanted to ask uh, a few questions from uh, sort of a, I don't know, sort of like a more uh, global, like bird's eye view of like this whole approach to talking about the show and also about like the show and its future. And I guess like when I was reading How to Win the Bachelor, my first uh, takeaway was like, well, this is like the money ball of The Bachelor. And you talk a little bit about how this kind of analysis has existed in, in other sports and, you know, using the statistical analysis to reveal which parts of the game are most important to success. And, I think it's interesting because, like, the Moneyball approach has worked for some teams, but also it's been criticized as being the sort of, like, bloodless, extractive way of looking at sports. And so I am curious, like, whether you ever do feel conflicted about looking at every move that people make on the show through this lens that treats them as they're, as people playing a game – And, like, we've talked about how they also have emotions, but are you ever, like, oh, by just analyzing it through statistics, we're short-selling that? Or or do you feel like this is, like, maybe the most respectful way, actually, to approach it? There's definitely a fine line. And I would say we encounter it the most when we're talking about PTCs, personal tragedy cards, because a lot of the time they are you know, horrendous things that have happened to people. And like, you do want to be sensitive about that and not be callously like, and that was my play of the game, her father's brain cancer or something like that. Um, And so we definitely like try to, um, you know, be, be gentle with the way that we're, we're talking about those sorts of things. Um, I would say that treating it as a game has actually like lightened my perspective of it. And like we used to go a little bit harder, I would say, at the players. And yeah, I, I said this earlier, but like since we've met them and like have realized that you're really not getting a, an accurate perspective of who this person is, I have definitely changed my perspective on the show and my perspective on villains, especially. Um, 
And I would say like the game strategy allows you to have this sort of lightness about some of these more dark topics and, um, and see it as fun and not always as this, you know, bachelor nation can get pretty, pretty dark. Um, and (laughs) I'm sure you guys have experienced it. Uh, (laughs) You know, I've gotten to the point where I can't even go in the forums. I can't read negative stuff about any of the players. Like, no matter who it is, I don't want to read anything negative about them because it it just it hurts my my soul to read that stuff. Yeah, no, I I think that that is definitely something that we've sort of struggled with as well because it is it is Mm -hmm. a delicate balance. And at the end of the book, which I really appreciated that you guys did you get into these questions of the show's patterns of misogyny, racism, ableism, and particularly its historical racism and historical exclusion of Black contestants and leads specifically. What did kind of crunching the numbers on the show um, reveal to you that you don't think you would have necessarily gleaned from just casually watching back? For me, it was the severity of it. Like, we obviously knew that it had racist casting practices from the beginning, but I think it was 2011, which was Brad Womack's... Sec- I, I think I'm getting this right. Don't Brad exactly Womack quote me. Ashley Hubert. It was Brad Womack and Ashley Hubert. That season was Bachelor and Bachelorette. Everybody in all those shows were white. Two seasons, back-to-back, all white players. So it wasn't just like... Uh, black players didn't have representation. The only players represented were white players. And I think the severity of that was something that I had no idea about. And then once we really started looking at like, um, you know, Rachel Lindsay, Bachelorette season 13, first black lead, they cast someone like Lee Garrett, who has openly, these aren't even like tweets or Instagram posts he's liked. These are things he's saying on Twitter that are there publicly available, super racist. And they put this man in the show. And the producers can claim they didn't see these tweets, all they want, all that kind of stuff. We believe, Rachel Lindsay has said she believes, everybody at this point, I think, kind of believes they put him in the show on purpose to try and drum up some kind of racism narrative. Revealing things like that and seeing how they kind of like worked in context in the history of the game and how producers are willing to use racism as just like entertainment for us, that was something that was uh, darker than I think I had imagined as a casual viewer for sure. But, you know, we say in that very chapter that it's like, we really love the game, just like people love football or baseball or any other sport. And those organizations have their own problematic things happening with in, in regard to all this stuff, racism, misogyny, all of that. And we view this, our sport, in the exact same way. And we know it's got a long way to go. It seems like it is making some progress, at least on the surface, you know, with the just the amount of representation in the player pool. And we are seeing more leads of color now. We are seeing, you know, in, in Michelle Young's season, historic final four, all players of color. That had never happened before. And those that's a producer decision. They decide who those final four are. She may know the the top one or two, but they decide who makes it to hometown. So that's at least a decision they've made that seems to be moving in that direction. So I don't know. We're hopeful that we keep seeing it change in these more progressive ways. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was crunching the numbers of it and seeing stuff like that. What I think it was 2011 that year was just like, holy shit, this is way worse than we thought. Right. And then 2012 is the class action suit. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And, you know, they lost that suit, but they changed the casting practices after that. And I remember going back through it because, you know, I had been watching since season one. I maybe missed a couple in college, but I pretty much watched all of it. And I didn't remember it being an all-white show. And, you know, part of this is probably my white privilege and learning a lot more about race throughout my life. But going back and seeing that all of those early seasons are pretty much all white. The players of color are going home night one or week one. No one is going far. Although there were some positive notes that we did notice, such as Mary Delgado winning the ring in season six, um, first Latinx player to do that. Um, and she also had a hometown in which all of the fa- her family was speaking Spanish. You know, So there were some things that surprised us in the other direction as well. Lenise Adams had the first kiss in season one. Um, you know, also Mary Delgado. Many people may not care, care about this, but to me, it is a very near and dear thing of a heart. She invented the hoojoo in her hometown season six with Byron Velvick in Tampa, Florida. He meets her on a softball field and she does the first hoojoo in the history of the game. To me, that's a huge part of it. It's I innovator. didn't even know about her. She's an innovator. She yeah. invented the hoojoo. She was also like the ring winner after being on a previous season and coming Mm -hmm. on to another season, which I didn't know anyone had ever won doing that. It was her and Heather Cranford came in together as a pair in Byron Velvet's season. He goes to meet both of them. Her and Heather Cranford, who was from a different season of Bachelor, came in together to meet Byron Velvet. Heather Cranford gets sent home at that rose ceremony. Mary Delgado obviously does not, goes on to win the ring that season. Well, she needs to be in like a Hall of Fame along with Rhonda Rittenhouse from season one. A wild innovator. I mean, a legend. My God. Technically the first villain. She was the first first person to say for the right reasons, I think. If I'm right, or did she say not here to make friends? For the wrong reasons. reasons. She was the first first person to say for the wrong reasons, first person to say not here to make friends, and the first ambulance exit. Like, yes. Yeah. And first person I mean. to shoot a gun, do gunplay. Yeah, shoot a shotgun <laughs> off the back of a. <laughs> I love, the by the way, yacht. the giddiness I just felt hearing the name Rhonda Rittenhouse is <laughs> scary to me. We love her. <laughs> just, She's the same. <laughs> She's so awesome. Oh. Uh, I also, uh, another thing that I learned from all of your research about the history of this show is that at the beginning of season three, production like they showed the bachelors they almost picked and didn't Mm -hmm. um including a possible black bachelor dane blanton who was an olympic volleyball gold medalist and then instead they chose andrew firestone and i didn't know this either they went on to like market him as the real millionaire in opposition to joe millionaire a fake millionaire on i think a fox show yeah and you mentioned like, oh, the history of The Bachelor might look so different um, if they had gone this route. How, how do you think it would look different? Like, do you think that the next few seasons would have would have had like a cascading effect? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it depends on like ratings and stuff. Obviously, the show is still tied to the antiquated Nielsen rating system. That's how it makes its money. So, I mean, it depends on what would have happened that season ratings wise. But I feel like after season one and two, it was just on its like rocket ship ride to the moon. I don't think anyone that they would have chosen would have really derailed the ratings. And I think that yet my personal opinion is yes. Had Dane Blanton been the third bachelor, I think we would have seen a much more diverse game throughout the last 20 years. 
I totally agree. Part of that would be that you're following we all the bachelorettes. Every single bachelorette has been picked from a previous bachelor season. And if you had Dane Blanton, they would have cast a more diverse pool. We would have seen players of color go farther and gotten their stories in my hypothetical universe. We would have seen this and then maybe they get chosen as the bachelorette because that, um, yeah, I think that that, that part of the alt alternate universe would have gone that way. And instead they were like, we're going with inherited white wealth. That's going to be our brand. Yeah. On the bachelor. Who is, uh, you know, incidentally remains one of Chris Harrison's best friends. So they're constantly playing <sighs> golf. Yep. Yep, yep. Why am I not surprised that's what they do together? It's literally um, the least surprising thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is something that we actually think about a lot is like, what could the show look like if it were not so terrible and exclusionary? Um, if it were a show that wasn't so misogynist, so racist, so ableist, so sizist. Um, but it's also a game that's sort of built on navigating all these social and interpersonal norms that are themselves reflective of our society that are misogynist and racist and sizist and ableist. And so what does a version of the show look like that that doesn't exemplify all of those things? Um, like, can that exist in your mind? Like, does it does it tear the bachelor down from within because it's so constructed on all of those heteropatriarchal misogynist racist expectations or is there a world in which it is a show that has fair play for everyone and is a positive contribution to the world i mean for what it's worth we right now are trying to pitch that show we we've come up with our oh. own kind of dating reality format and it's everything you just mentioned We'll see if anyone <laughs> wants to make it. That's another question that is yet well, to be answered. I want but... to watch it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. potential people who can fund this vision. All right. We're putting your name on the, the list. We're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, you're down for $100 million, right? <laughs> Great. We have our first investors. <laughs> yeah. I have no money, unfortunately, because I'm a podcaster, but I, I have a lot of enthusiasm. So, yeah. She's our not millionaire contestant who's going to be on this show. <laughs> uh, I, it does it, it, it can work. It has worked on other shows. I loved watching the Are You the One season where they had all bisexual, non binary so people good. of all different sizes and colors. And it was. It was, you know, ex you can still make extremely entertaining television when everyone is not skinny and white and cis and all of these things. Um, but The Bachelor is just very behind. Um, well, on that note, we should we should wrap up. But thank you both so much for joining us today. This was super fun. We're so excited for everyone to read your book. It's called How to Win the Bachelor, The Secret to Finding Love and Fame on America's Favorite Reality Show. And it will be available January 25th, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for having us. This was fantastic. Yeah, it's always a pleasure you. for us to talk to anyone who's like, at the level, you know, who really knows this <laughs> wow. thing inside and out. So we are we, so honored. That time. is so kind of you to to say. Um, we're in. We such... have been fans of you both for so long, and like what you have contributed to this franchise and the 
space around the franchise, the podcasting world is invaluable and essential. And I'm very grateful. Oh, we're truly so touched. So nice. It's true. Really, really great. And we have been meaning to like talk to you guys for a while. So I'm really glad you wrote this book. Gave us a good reason to all get together. Yeah. This was super fun. Yeah. And and we we will have to do it again. Absolutely. We got to have you guys on our show. We would be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our guests, Chad Colgin and Lizzie Pace. Their book, How to Win the Bachelor, is out January 25th, and you can find Game of Roses wherever you listen to podcasts. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our theme music is by Tamar Habib, and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. And of course, help us spread the word about our show, especially to any of your friends who used to listen to us as Here to Make Friends. If you want to get in touch, you can always email us at claraandemmapod at gmail.com with your questions and voice memos. We might even feature you in a future mailbag. You can also find us on Twitter at love to see it Pod and Instagram at claraandemmapod. And you can find our newsletter on Substack rich text at claireandemma.substack.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode of Love to See It. Stitcher. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.